Hey, everybody. The other day, I just did a conference with leaders of organizations, and one of the morning sessions I did just went to a very special place, and I wanted you to hear it. We happened to tape the audio, and so you're going to get the audio portion as we look at something that I called Deep Courage and preparing for your next season, dealing with a lot of principles I've learned to get myself through things and ready for the next season. Hope you enjoy it. I want to talk today about deep courage. Deep courage. We live in a world that doesn't know their identity. They're frantically trying to find themselves through gender, sexuality, operations, religion, philosophy, witchcraft, pleasures, suicide. And with all the seminaries and denominations, the Bible schools and the churches in North America, there should be a stunning and an amazing flow of the presence of God. True. But we've never seen fewer miracles, well, maybe at some point. And that bothers me because as I began in ministry, I have the joy. I have no excuses. I have to agree with Stockwell when he just says, all my problems are mine. <laughs> and he wouldn't blame his wife. Well, I don't blame my mother because that's where most people go. Uh, their mother, their father. I was raised by the most incredible man and an amazing mom. Married a gorgeous, stunning woman. I, I just, I, I have, I got no excuses. So I think it's been good for me because excuses have a way of destroying our ability to change because it's just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And we're all at a point in our lives where the things we believe, we've created opinions around. And those opinions, if not handled properly, close our heart to further truth. And so, no wonder Paul, when he teaches us his prayers, like Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, often talks about the opening of the heart. And understanding. Whenever you hear the word heart, it'll often, it's always about understanding. And the heart is also the place of your identity. Um, as a man thinks in his heart, it's been used so much, but it's so true. So he is, so he lives. So the heart to me, and I'll, you know, and when I use terms that you use differently, in order to be allow someone to speak into your life. You have to be free from judging their terminologies and their different doctrines than you. Or you'll always get stuck at where you disagree rather than what God is trying to say to you. Um, and so to me, the heart, I believe that the human race, when, we, when they left the garden, that the spirit man lost the presence of God and they only functioned as two-thirds of a being. And because the nature of Christ, the spirit of Christ, wasn't in their human spirit. 
Now, the heart, I believe, is a mix of soul and spirit, and it's the very center of your identity. Not um, your real identity, but your perceived identity, which needs to continually be corrected and built according to God's word. And so, for me, as as a preacher's boy, and, and seeing what the love and how to pastor and what God was doing, I had such a great understanding of pastoring. And uh, I absolutely loved people. I loved pastors. My greatest joy was to, whoever was speaking, was to come over to the manse or to the, the house that was always attached to the church that mom and dad lived in. And, and she'd make toast and peanut butter sandwiches with coffee because we didn't have much back then. And we'd sit around with pastors and evangelists and we would talk the evening and the night away about God about his word, about what the gifts of the spirit were doing in their lives. And it was so rich that whenever mom would put me to bed, I'd always sneak out and hide around the hallway and just listen to these men and women of God cry and minister to each other and, and assist each other, something that I, I see so rarely today yeah. anywhere. And uh, everyone just wants to know my management principles. They want to know the keys to how I administrate different organizations. They want to understand how I transition uh, through uh, staffing, and, and I love all that stuff. I mean, I read my way through the Drucker Library when I couldn't find someone to help me handle a megachurch when it exploded. Um, but I began to recognize how empty I, I became when I simply and only developed a systematic approach to church and then lost the spirit of the living God flowing through me. And so I begin to understand that it's the presence of God flowing through me um, that attracted the right people and and touched them at a very deep place. And then because it just continued to happen by the hundreds and by the thousands, I had no choice but to apply management principles and find managers to manage people and growth and then different companies and organizations, etc. But I'm so glad that Holy Spirit was something that had been richly communicated to me and in my way of life. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, it teaches us that it shall come to pass in the latter days, says God, that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. This is so stunningly speaking of the language of the heart. And what really helped me um, is as I developed my mind, as I developed my thinking through structures and systems and, and all that, which God helps and anoints. And you have a stunning assistance from the business world. Um, I, every change in my life, I was in angst. It was like I was trying to become something that I wasn't, even though I know I should, and that even as I was growing up, in ministry, and, and uh, I was taught that anything over 250 wasn't a God church because mega churches aren't of God. And uh, you know, as you, you listen to different preachers, um, and I had to learn to change my heart beliefs 
not around correct doctrine, that's always happening, but around my identity for the season that I was in. And this is where I begin to find an ease and a joy of all the things that God began to hand my way. He told me that if I would be the one with ten, he'd keep handing me free ones. And I found that to be true in my life. Um, I began to recognize that the language of the heart is different than the reasoning of the mind. And that the language of the heart is a perception. It's a sensing. It's a knowing. It's very picturesque. And so Jesus is saying here uh, through, the, for, through Joel that, that it's dreams. It's visions. And so I, I would close my eyes and pray and try to give me a vision, Lord. Well, give me a dream, God. Then I began to recognize that Holy Spirit was going to show me things to come through the word. And that I would establish who I was in Christ and the season that I was in. And the Holy Spirit would guide me into the next season. And if I didn't deal with heart work, if I didn't deal with my heart, that the next season I would destroy because I would feel that I was unable. I, would, I, would, I, was, I was thinking I was humble, but I just wasn't doing the heart work. I was saying no to leadership that others wanted me to do because God can use somebody, but it's just not me. That's not me. And I thought and developed a system of being led by the Spirit that was simply being led by my identity in the season that I was in. And I hadn't prepared my heart for the identity of the season that I was going into. So what I did when I began to have a mega church, when this thing began to grow up, um, I, I was in the hospital twice. I mean, so sick, so wiped out. And, uh, and you could say, well, you were working too hard. Yes, but really I was fighting my behavior on the... Now, remove the word behavior from right or wrong. My behavior on the outside of becoming a megachurch pastor, and I don't like the word, but I'm just trying to really cut through a lot of teaching today. So forgive me if I sound arrogant or whatever, but this megachurch that I was, my heart was a 250 church. Yeah. Wow. And so it wasn't my actions or my physical output that was killing me. It was the angst between my perceived identity and the identity that I had no choice but to deal with on the exterior. I so thank God that Holy Spirit was something that I had been taught to really treasure. And Jesus, when I study the Bible, spoke the language of the heart. He could have done, I have read so many books on the prodigal son that make my mouth hang open and sees things I've never seen before. That I go back, anyone that would write one on the prodigal son, and I would see them flesh out these things. And I thought Jesus could have taught 79 points on forgiveness and family, but he told one story that resounds its way around the world and impacts the heart of every person who's got to deal with these issues. 
He could have taught and tried to explain in glowing detail how precious having God in our hearts and our lives was. And it would have taken books and, 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 and all sorts of novels, but he told a story of a pearl of great price. And that you'd sell everything you had just to find that treasure in a field. And the parables and the picturesque speaking of Jesus mixed with the spirit of life that was in him transformed the hearts of 12 crazy men from late teens to early 20s that went and gave their lives for the things of God. And so... Jesus spoke this speech, and I begin to look at him, and I begin to recognize that maybe it's not just I've got sin in my life, which is why I don't feel good about where I'm going. Maybe it's not, because I was raised in this really strong humility teaching that, you know, the rest of my life I should stay humble and I should spend the rest of my life working that out. What a low bar. What a low bar. And so every wrong thought, if, if, God, if someone would compliment me, it would instantly put fear in me that God was going to take me down because someone complimented me. If someone would see me as something, instantly, I would just, okay, God, look, I'm, I'm not going to, I want to, because I was taught that God would take you out if you get proud. So this humility was a big deal. And so I just worked every day at not having any negative thoughts, not having any bad looks, not treating anybody wrong. If I forgot to shake someone's hand on the inside, I would know that I've hurt that person. I need to find them in the conference center and and let them know that I didn't. It was just crazy. And then I began to recognize that it wasn't humility uh, and that my real issue was the differentiation between my behavior and my leadership roles and what my heart, where my heart was. So I began to go to work on my heart. And I began to develop an understanding as I went through the word as to what that heart was. And what is my heart? And, and how can I deal with my heart? And the first thing I found as I began to, God began to show me, was that I began to find so many people who sensed God thought they sensed God, but they were sensing the deepest beliefs of their heart attached to their identity. And so your experience becomes your sense of reality. And you just keep superimposing it upon every future opportunity. Some people live in a constant state of pessimism and negativity and and they'll take courses in life and and they'll do anything they can uh, to change it but it never changes and they always have a foreboding feeling that things aren't going to work out and they think they're prophetic when what they feel say and act comes true but we really are self-fulfilling prophets because the heart is the autopilot of your life I wish it was God then I could blame him. In Proverbs 17, 20, it says that he who has a deceitful heart finds no good, and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. The word deceitful heart comes the word crooked. Uh, You know, whenever you, it's a crooked heart. And then whenever you would see the word righteous, a righteous heart, in the Bible, that literally means straight. And so our hearts 
deal with things in a crooked way, an unreal way. Uh, just remove for a moment the horrible sins of, of killing babies and what. Just I'm just talking about a heart because I thought that an evil heart meant I was killing people and raping and murdering. But an evil heart is, according to the word, is a heart of an evil heart of unbelief. And so once I begin to recognize that the heart is the very seed of my identity and that it was my job to, for example, Proverbs 4, guard it because out of it flow the issues of life. There are three meanings for that word. One of them is boundaries. So the boundaries I can't get past without getting sick. The boundaries I can't get past without feeling um, arrogant. The boundaries I can't get past without wrecking my marriage, my home, are simply self-imposed boundaries of the heart. And so I needed to go to work on my heart so that it was straight. The, The ability to look at the world and find good is rooted in the condition of the heart. When we change our heart, we view the world differently. Your eyes don't see anything. They simply absorb, they absorb light. And your brain creates images. That's all it does. But your heart is the vessel of perception. And it perceives what's coming in. So the word understanding is closely related to the word heart. The interpretation of what you see and the images your brain makes creates a felt experience. You could call it emotion. I believe that the deepest feelings that you have come from your heart and that your emotions come from your mind. So as you look and focus on something, you emotionally go there. If I get out of this teaching moment and I begin to stare at somebody who looks unhappy with me. I begin to get discouraged in my teaching if I look at somebody whose eyeballs are just, you know, I can be encouraged um, because focus determines emotion. But yet a person can walk into every room they ever go into and a deep feeling rises up on the inside and goes, I don't belong here. These people are not my people. And it happens to that person when they go to the neighborhood get together, their family get togethers, their first church, their second church, their third church, their fourth church. Uh, When they get together with wonderful ladies and ladies Bible study, um, they just know I don't fit. And this deep feeling of rejection is not an emotion that comes from focus. It is a trained belief that is attached to their identity. And so that person will never make a marriage work. They will never raise kids that they could be responsible for to move past this identity issue. A person with a crooked heart, beliefs that are not biblically correct, Everything is crooked. And a person with a straight heart, um, it becomes phenomenal. Now, if I just move over for a minute and think, every belief brings behavior. And every behavior has consequences. And you can be stuck in consequences. And I don't mean, let's just, I mean the simple things like porn, arrogance, alcohol, drugs, um, you know, 
just, if you could just move away from some of that for a minute, and I, I totally agree with its destructive force. But I'm not actually talking. I'm talking to leaders about your season that is ahead. I'm talking to people who don't want to quit, who don't want to say, you know, freedom 55, I retire and hand it off. I want to be Caleb at 80 going, take in another mountain. Um, so th- this is crucial. So what the world gives us with an inability to touch the heart is to modify behavior. And I'm so glad that they have so much help to modify your behavior. The, to modify your behavior stops you from punching me if you don't like me. Uh, and so I like it. But the amount of willpower that it takes to keep that behavior modified for the rest of your life is going to be the exertion that you do with, with you. Whereas Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and that you can enter the rest. And the rest is the heart work that needs to be done to correctly show you who you are in Christ, the finished work of the cross, and then your role on the planet from season to season. And Holy Spirit's job is to help you identify you for the season that is ahead of you. He will use the word. He may use a prophetic gift. But I'm so turned off to all the people who have prophesied over me and the 10% that are right. Uh, I, I love them and I hug them. But we've got to be careful because when you say, thus saith the Lord, it has a deep impact on a heart if they believe you. So you better dang well be right. Yes. Um, so to modify behavior as a believer is to give up on the heart. Wow. Okay, so you've got to recognize the teachings of Jesus. Mark 4 is all about the heart. And what scares the crap out of me is that it says in there that you're going to always have more of what you've got. It's a continuum. And so from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man from the good deposits of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man from evil, and that word evil, let's move to unbelief. Uh, You know, what he believes, he's got misbeliefs, he produces evil things. And an average mediocre person with average mediocre beliefs produces average mediocre things. And a man with world-changing beliefs at the heart produces world-changing things. This is a crucial aspect for us all who have spent our time developing systems and structures and uh, church plants and denominations and really have gotten concerned about structure, which is crucial, but have placed it in first place before what goes on with the Spirit of God through the human spirit and the equipping of the heart of our pastors and leaders and our people in the pews. The gift, you know, when we talk about what God is going to do next, it's very clear in the word that what God is going to do next is to get rid of the belief that it is the clergy that function in the gifts of the spirit when it never had intended the clergy to do that. The clergy were to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so if you want to know what the next move of God will be, it will be pastors and leaders getting secure enough to not always have to put on a show to keep people coming to your church. And you begin to invest into their life as to who they are in Christ from the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Absolutely crucial. 
And then as you teach Holy Spirit and his gifts, we've got to teach it in a non-sensational way. Because they all look at you, talk about raising the dead off the back of a truck and screaming as you walked into a bar and saved that man's life. And they all just go, I could never do that. Um, But as you begin to teach Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and remove the, you know, I could call it craziness or I could just call it um, the Hollywood and just teach people to operate in a word of knowledge so that they'll walk into a situation and just know something and express themselves that way. I operate in the gifts of the Spirit a lot and nobody sees it. Nobody sees it. Um, I walk into business meetings and I'll read the room and I'll walk in and make million dollar deals and know exactly what not to say to that man. I'll walk into a situation. Um, I watched a murderer walk into our church. He had his wife's body parts in his pocket. And I had my ushers follow him down and make sure that we wouldn't let him go to the bathroom because I knew the gifts of the spirit. And then how to raise my kids and why is daughter number two so different from daughter number one? And why am I dealing with this at age 12 and daughter number four? And, 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 and to allow Holy Spirit to give me words of knowledge and guidance and direction to say, I need to do this with this one. I need to do this so that when you raise your kids up, you recognize the gifts of the spirit weren't to play with in a church. We're not like... Navy SEALs don't take all of their weapons and then go play with them. They'll practice with them a little, but then they're called upon to walk into the most absolutely earth-shaking situations and use them. And so this issue of us learning as leaders to stop trying to just modify our behaviors and deal with our angst and, and, and our false humility. And, and I'm so preaching at myself. I'm probably giving you a little bit of my journey today, and I hope it helps someone. And, but until re- issues are resolved at the root source of the heart, they are not solved. You can go pick fruit off of a tree that you don't like and pick it all off thinking everyone is a problem, and it's all going to grow back. If the fruit on that tree that you don't want, you you keep picking it off, it will grow back. So you will spend the rest of your life as that tree or as this person cultivating this tree, doing nothing but but using your, uh, your physical human ability to keep pulling all this wrong fruit. When all it takes is an ax to the root of that belief of the heart and all of the wrong behavior just stops. I don't mean instantly. I mean this is a process of this building the heart. So until we do that, um, we as leaders, if if we're not going to struggle with sin that's just trying to get us out of this angst and the pleasures that we need to keep our brains on, right, which is all that is going on, which is wrong with so many people in ministry who just can't handle another month of this, can't handle another year of this. They don't know what pleasure is because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And it doesn't just mean heaven. You know, pleasures are not wrong. It's how you get them that is wrong. And so when your heart doesn't match your behavior, uh, and I don't, then you are in this constant state of angst. And so because your heart is the autopilot, what you want doesn't happen. What you do doesn't make anything happen because the heart is too powerful to stop. And so you attract what's in your heart. You radiate what's in your heart. You, um, and so this autopilot has got to be moved from the crooked heart of misbeliefs, wrong beliefs, 
And a biblical belief is the hardest belief to help someone deal with. Because God's attached to it. And a pastor's attached to, to it. Now, the Bible says that all the days of the afflicted are evil. But he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. You and I have a choice. We can be afflicted or we can have a feast. And the, and the central issue is what goes on in the heart. I can't emphasize enough this, the, the limited um, benefits to just behavior modification. If we're going to help people do behavior modification, it should be for a long enough term to teach them how to deal with the heart. So only changes of the heart are going to be lasting and help us to do what we are called to as pastors, as prophets, apostles, as ministers, as dads, as moms. With what Jesus did, it should have created this stunning, unbelievable, superhuman race of followers of Christ that the world just stood in awe of. But instead, they kind of got a quirky, occasional great leader that rose up to entertaining everybody by trying to minister to them through a gift, which is fine, and I do that, um, and not dealing and helping them deal with their heart beliefs. If I could lay hands on somebody and get them healed, which I see all the time in my ministry, I function a lot in gifts of healings, um, or I could help them for 15 minutes change their heart, I'll take the heart every time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question, and you're going to disagree with me, but I'll just say it, and you can meditate on it. When Jesus prayed for someone, did they stay healed the rest of their life? I don't think so. Because what, what did he do? Put a Teflon spiritual package over them that made them never, ever get sick again? Or did the next attack on the enemy or their stressed out ability? You know, what happened there? And so to preach, teach, love, counsel, um, raise kids, help a friend, if you can help them with their heart, which means you're going to have to use picturesque speech. You're going to have to recognize that Holy Spirit, help them to have Holy Spirit who is in them, if they're a follower of Christ, to begin to show them through dreams and visions, which is just picturesque. A dream is a picturesque thing. Uh, a vision is a picturesque thing. And your mind is a reasoning thing. The Bible says the backslider in heart in Proverbs 14, 14, will be filled with his own ways. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. What? Most religion does one of two things. It begs and pleads with a reluctant God to heal them, touch them, restore them, prepare them which is so doctrinally incorrect in the New Covenant. Or we scream at a devil and we bind him and we look for his name and his is, is whatever. But when you go through the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, which is the New Covenant picture, you will see that he is not an issue. That he's not an issue. But what you focus on creates emotion. And what you stay focused on plants itself in your heart. 
And so they'll see someone in trouble, sense a demonic presence that might have attached itself to it, or let's just say Satan's like a shark in the water. Wherever there's blood, he goes. So is the answer to simply speak and minister to that person and relieve them of the assault the enemy is doing on the brokenness of their beliefs? Or do we help them build into their heart correct beliefs? So that their autopilot changes, they enter his rest, and they begin to produce this incredible ability. And and, and don't take me the wrong way, but the presence of God begins to flow from them in this unique and powerful way. Joshua 1, this poor guy has to take over from Moses. And, uh, I mean, God, he must have had a few issues because God spoke to him. Joshua. All right. And he began to tell him. He didn't just give him a lesson. He said, every place your feet trod, warfare picture, you'll take. Okay? And then he begins to paint borders and boundaries and pictures. Now, then as he goes on, he says, be courageous. He is saying, rise up. And then he says, you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. There is this train of thought running through old and new covenants that God is a heart God. And the heart is not talking about being perfect. I mean, in our behavior. Although, as you well know, I'm not giving you a license to sin. And so... Samuel is told Eliab looks amazing. Shammah III could be a stunning uh, king. But I don't look at the outside and the training and the diction and their fluency and their ability to get a crowd and to manage people. I look at the heart. When you marry somebody, it's the heart, their heart, that determines your future. And so I encourage singles to spend enough time in understanding this to take a look at the heart of that individual because will they transition every season? Beautiful singles can be awful marrieds and wonderful marrieds can be awful parents. And wonderful parents can be horrible empty nesters. Um, Do people make the transitions through the seasons of their life is a heart issue. And so we have a church that is stuck. We have leaders who are stuck. We try to pray it out. We try to, to, to speak and prophesy and gift it out. And we will see. I have noticed that when I function in the gifts, I give people a reprieve for a period of time. I can see the darkness come off of them and the joy of the Lord hits them like you just can't believe. But when I walk out of their life or, you know, and, and they might enjoy my ministry for a while, if they don't do heart work, if they don't deal with the beliefs of their heart, I cannot sustain them. That gift, the Holy Spirit's gifts that bring freedom to people is to give them this period of time to work on their heart. Now, understanding doctrine does not touch the heart. Okay? Now, understanding doctrine, don't get me wrong. As you can see, my brain is always connecting thoughts, but understanding doctrine without an application to the heart creates misbeliefs and unbeliefs. 
And so that's why seminaries and Bible schools not handled properly can give us some of the most hardened people to God because they tried God and what their leaders said was the best of God and they put them through a year, two, three, four of God and his training and they can parse a verb and they can understand church history and then as they begin to, you know, and there's no flow out of them. I don't hire any of them. Now, am I against it? Absolutely not. They use many of my courses and seminaries and Bible schools around the world. Um, The heart is different. And so if you don't have a real relationship in the heart that isn't just a defensive one as him being your comforter. You're, it's covering the numbers. I don't know what time we're at. So, if you simply see Holy Spirit as your comforter, then your belief is that you'll always be on defense. You'll always be fighting. But you're supposed to be a wise master builder. And it's what we build that is going to last. I don't want to teach my kids just how to fight. I want to teach them to build their heart and allow Holy Spirit to not change their identity in Christ, but change their identity and function through the seasons of life. So that as they become a wife and a husband, they're not stuck in the beliefs of a single. And I didn't get a chance to travel I didn't get a chance to find myself and I married this man and okay, that's BS, brown sugar. You are simply stuck, you're stuck in the identity beliefs of a single and you have not embraced the beautiful biblical teaching of why marriage is so stunning and so incredible and so adventurous and so risk-taking and why the marriage bed is beyond anything that anyone... The beliefs are so messed up. You simply, your behavior is walking out your heart beliefs about marriage. Your heart beliefs come from the way your parents raised you, the way society raised you, uh, the hurts, the heartaches, and the things that have happened to you and your judgments of them. And so we try to do inner healing with a prayer. And I think the prayer for God to heal broken hearts is a powerful and unique and very special prayer. But then we must teach them to touch God, to perceive, to allow his word. Any Bible verse, any doctrine in the word that doesn't touch your identity through meditation doesn't stick. And it's not workable by you. And so that's why... I know people who can, they know the Bible so much better than I, but I know Jesus. And I fellowship Holy Spirit. And this continuous of teaching isn't just doctrinal, but it's doctrinal and how it fits in my personal life so that the next season of what he has for me, I can be in his rest. And so... That is where when I began to have it, you know, the church, I had to really begin to deal with mega churches and, and what about thousands? And, and my brain kept wanting to go with how to manage it. It kept wanting to go to, you know, the buildings and the parking and uh, 40 below in Winnipeg. And then how can they each, how are we going to put bums in seats? And, and, and I love that kind of stuff. 
But I begin to wonder about, can my arm encircle these people with love? Can they come to our church and sense his presence, touch them at such a deep level that the culture of our church that Sal and I had really fought for and embraced and ministered, that it would go down. Could it go to 500 people? Could it go to 1,000? Could it touch 2,000? Could my management systems and, the, and how I administrate those systems still bring the presence of God and the focus on their heart in such a way that they're just captured by the vision, but this not just the vision of the church, but the vision for their life. And the other day, some didn't understand me. I wasn't being negative. The church often doesn't have a vision for our kids. By that, I don't mean I'm going to be the next Billy Graham. I'm not, I'm, no, by that, I simply mean an incredible marriage, amazing finances, a career going to change health care, politics. This vision that just looks, takes the promises of God, which they've already been qualified for by Jesus' finished work on the cross, um, and begin to get up and be so excited. The life I'm going to live with Christ is going to produce amazing kids, amazing generations, and whatever's in them, I'm going to help that kid be a politician. Daddy's going to back him like David back Solomon. I'm going to help that woman. She's going to rise up and write books. are going to revolutionize. And besides helping her by managing systems and things, I'm going to teach her that what is ahead. It's the heart. Without heart beliefs, the behavioral changes um, are by willpower, which is not sustainable, which is why so many ministries burn out or fall into sin, and we get so upset at them. And I go, please don't get upset at them. Please love them. If we can restore that gifting and love covers a multitude of sins and get that person back to where they are, rather than have them stand up and make some kind of big declaration. And listen, where were you when they needed a break, when they need someone to help them, when this giftedness was doing stunning things for them, when heart beliefs are accompanied by behavioral changes, Changes the heart is at peace in the presence of God. The only way to make the pieces of your life blend and to get rid of the angst is, is for you to deal with the beliefs of your heart. And you say, Well, I don't know what they are. It's very simple. Your beliefs are the same as your fruit. So if sickness is a real problem, are you saying my heart is bad? Not at all. I deal with sickness in every season of my life. And the heart believes not that God heals. That's not faith. When you begin to look at the heart, it's I am the healed. And I come from a position of victory. (laughs) Sickness? Are you kidding me? I am the healed. That's my identity. When I'm trying to make money to handle all these, these organizations all take millions of dollars, is it me frantically trying to get money? Or I, I, no, I am the wealthy. I am the rich. I am. He wouldn't create a world that has trillions and say, but not my kids. So... The Bible says a sound heart is life to the body. So 
Literally, your digestion of food, your circulation of the blood, your creating of physical energy doesn't come from just your vitamins, and I'm on them, doesn't just come from the minerals, and I'm on them, doesn't come from just your checkups. It comes from the beliefs of the heart on aging, healing, etc. And so, a sound heart, he's not talking about your physical heart, he's talking about this, this spiritual part, this heart, is life to the body. None of us are capable in this world of protecting ourselves against all that will come against us. None of us. So a heart that believes the angelic force, they're just with me. I was on a plane, I think, coming into one of the Saskatchewan cities, and... Um, as it was taking off at the very end of the flight, um, just be, I'm sorry, at the, as he was just about to take off, this thing, it felt like it hit a wall. This plane shut down. And all of us, without any warning, our faces went straight into the seat in front of us. People were screaming as things happened and masks fell out and what is going on. And then this jet began to roar like it was going to blow up. And you couldn't even pull your face off the G's that were coming. And the man sitting beside me in the center seat was uh, open. He was in a, in, in a fetal position and he's screaming and crying and sobbing and snotting all over the place. And then it stopped. And people, you could hear people crying. It was this brutal. And... Uh, he looked over at me and he just saw me calmly sitting there. And this, he's trying to impress me with his fear. So while he's crying, trying to straighten him, he goes, we almost died. We almost died. And I, and I just, I didn't say a thing because other people were talking all over the place. And uh, he looks at me and goes, why aren't you afraid? I said, because I knew we weren't going to die. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm on the plane. Now, I don't mean you to take that in an arrogant way, but I am the protected. I don't need to seek and beg for protection. I am the protected. I don't need to be binding the right demons for each trip. Did you bind a spirit of this on this flight? I don't need to. Once my heart embraces the word of God that protection is mine and it is for my generations and it is for my kids, this thing flows from the, from the heart and it flows out of your heart like rivers of living water. It affects the way people listen to you, the way people treat you. It affects your money, your finances, your sex life, your health, uh, your kids, your grandkids, uh, business, um, secular people. It affects it all. So my encouragement to you today is that wherever you are, don't believe for a minute that you know enough of God's word to go do great things. Instead of looking at that as an analytical, doctrinally memorized, documented, pigeonholed set of doctrines that are correct or incorrect, and we got a thousand denominations who disagree from people who read Greek, Hebrew, and have spent their entire lives studying doctrine. Doctrine, I think, is important. Um, instead, go to God's word and ask Holy Spirit, you know what is ahead of me. And would you work with me and guide me to the things that would prepare me now to be the CEO of a school? And now that they've handed me a television station, God, I don't see myself running a TV station. 
I got three months. And I mean, I, and, but what was great was that I had learned on some of my previous seasons that the issue first wasn't getting the right people around me. The issue first wasn't figuring out management systems or firing and hiring. The issue first was could Leon at the heart level see himself as a CEO that walks in there and brings changes and hears from God and surrounds himself with the right people and knows who they are and will be protected from whoever's going to try to shut this thing down. And this is what I spent time meditating on hours a day as I would, I would pray and, and Holy Spirit would begin to work with me and I could see myself, you know, and, and, and whatever those images are, but I literally would take the word of God and when it said that I can do all things through Christ who I, I can lead a television station. If you're going to bless the work of my hands, and as I look and search for the right people, God, you're going to be with me. As we begin to rise up and deal with CRTC issues and government issues, as we deal up and deal with finances, we deal with, 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 with stuff that might be attached to this channel that I've got to change culture. God, you've empowered me to change the culture of this. All of my meditation wasn't just doctrinal. It was the word of God's effect on me. And that's why the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Yeah. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. Like There's like eight or nine me's and I's in there. And it this false humility thing stopped me from embracing the word of God to look at myself and what he wants to do in me. If you're in business, you will run into misbeliefs at certain amounts of money. You, you, you can remanage and you can readministrate. You can revision your people all you want. But until your heart becomes a billion dollar heart, until your, uh, until your heart becomes a world changing heart, till you see God's word that says, I serve Jesus, the, you know, he is the king of all kings, all premiers, and all presidents, and he is the king of kings, and everything was made for him, and he sits at the right hand of the Father just looking after me. And we begin to personalize all these gorgeous, beautiful doctrines you've got inside of you. If you could just ask Holy Spirit... Help me. Two. And, and, and so Jesus, the old Leon, his, you know, I have now got Jesus' nature, but how Leon sees himself is very tied to the boundaries that I've seen in my parents in Canada, bound to what I see churches that look like. If I'm going to do anything significantly different for the first time, that's the hardest thing to do, is to do something fresh. And if you feel called to do something fresh for the first time in any area, then that's the hardest work you will do on heart prep. But once you do, labor to enter the rest you simply are allowing Holy Spirit to take his word and prepare your heart and you at rest will go into the next season. You'll do it with joy. I mean, you'll do it so excited and you'll begin to recognize that these, these feelings, these, these nuances that flow through me, you begin to recognize very quickly, I, I, I've got to differentiate, is that my last season speaking to me? 
and my last identity. And so most of my devotions is getting to know Jesus and asking him to help me to know me and his call upon me. And then it's not I. I am crucified with Christ, which means dead, yet not I. But it is Christ who lives in me. His word, what he thinks about me, what he says about me. And the Bible doesn't have verses about what your next season is, but Holy Spirit will show you and take the word that needs to impregnate you and grow up in you to walk into that season easily. If the world can do it without all their religious hang-ups, then you can too. I just want to pray with you because my time is up. And I believe that God has ministered to you today through the word. And I think many kinds of prayer are overrated. I loved what um, Brother Picklick said, that my prayer life is I dialed in and I never hung up. I've never heard that, and I am going to steal that all over the planet. Um, This sense of never being disconnected from Holy Spirit, learning to sense him in every situation, And to know so much of your ability to operate in the gifts is tied to your perception of you. And so when we lose all sense of uh, of you, but it is Christ in me, and our identity no longer is this insecurity, there's an ease to operate in the gifts. And when nothing happens, you don't care. Got nothing for you, bro. (laughs) It's just so wonderful. Father... I just pray that what was needed for each person today, that you would just speak to them. And Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me in what's ahead of me. Lead each of us. Help us to know that there is a labor, but the labor is doing the hard work. And that as we see who you are asking us to be, that, Father, we will go forth with rest. Your yoke will be easy. Your burden will be light. That, Father, the presence of God will not just go before us and not just be our rear guard and not just protect us, but that within us we will guard our heart from all that would try to stop our future and that we would spend time with you so that the word of God gets planted in the soil of our heart and then begins to grow. And the successes that we have seen, sensed, or known in part will continue in a powerful way. And that, Father, I pray for pastors and leaders. I pray for the stunning experience that's been given to them. And, Father, for what is ahead, I pray that rather than trying to define it, that they would go to their prayer closet in the Word and that you would prepare them to be the person that's going to lead or bring the change that is ahead. For those struggling with an area in their lives, I pray that, Father, their identity would be that you have already given us all things, that as he is, so are we in this world, that we've been qualified for the promises. And so, Father, we easily take your word, and Holy Spirit teaches our heart. And, Father, I pray that whatever misbelieves doctrinally that I have that are stopping me from going ahead that I would find them Holy Spirit I open every one of my opinions up and I my pride I just lay it aside and I say I want to know I want to know I want to know guide us and Father let from this room and this Thursday morning 
something unbelievable, phenomenal, incredible, unbelievable to a human mind, but believable to a heart that is marinated in the Word of God. That, Father, from this very morning, incredible things will happen because we start the process. And help us to establish our heart in grace, as you said in the New Covenant. And I pray this now. I pray that you would touch bodies. That, Father, those believing for a miracle would simply, Father, take the promises they know well and meditate until they are the healed. And they can see in glowing color them leaping from the stall like a young calf. Their youth being renewed like the eagles. Their mind having the very mind of Christ with his emotions, his clarity, his understanding. That, Father, you would touch us in a way that our relationships that aren't working because of misbeliefs at the heart level, that, Father, you would touch and work, and that, Father, our behaviors would change easily as, Holy Spirit, you begin to work on the inside of each of us. And, Father, whatever goes on on the inside of our heart can never be stopped on the outside. So help us to know that the inner work of Holy Spirit in my heart, when it is there, which doesn't take long, cannot be stopped by the enemy, cannot be stopped by governments, cannot be stopped by anything that would try. And so, Father, I thank you for this. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. I love you. <laughs>